Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello. And welcome back to the History of Egypt podcast, episode 78, The Duties of the Vizier. Today, we start to dig deep into the administration and government of one of Egypt's most well-recorded kings. We do this through the life of a man who has left an amazing testimony from the period, one of Egypt's highest officials. It's a deep dive into material I often don't get to cover. I'm excited to share it with you. Today's episode is brought to you by Brandon Flick, Marco Luce, and Christopher Bolger. Gents, thank you for your support. This episode is for you. Let me paint you a picture. It is morning, a summer's day, on the banks of the River Nile. A large river boat is tied up at the dock. The boat is made of papyrus. Reeds lashed together in bundles and then tied together to form a large, water-buoyant boat. In the middle, a wooden mast supports a large sail. To either side, rowing oars are ready to go. On the river bank, servants carry bundles of goods, sweating in the growing heat of the morning. Their muscles strain, they step carefully up the gangplank, and they carefully load their bundles on the deck of the ship. Stacked up on the boards are baskets of foodstuffs, boxes of clothing, and a number of carefully prepared and wrapped bundles. These bundles are protected, for they are highly valuable. They are going to be gifts for the pharaoh, gifts which must arrive at their destination safely. On the boat itself, sailors are checking the oars and the sails. The boat will be sailing downstream, going with the current, but the oars and sails must be checked for safety and speed. The ship's owner is going in haste. Nothing can impede his swift progress. As the ship is pronounced ready for sail, its owner and occupant now appears on a riverbank. He is seated in a carrying chair, carried by porters, and he shines in pristine linen robes. The man is high-ranking, wealthy, and prestigious. His name is Rek Mi Rey. Rek Mi Rey, or One as Knowledgeable as Rey, was a man of great authority in Thebes. Not only was he the mayor of Thebes, but he is also a high-ranking administrator at the Temple of Karnak. Rekmi Rey was the supreme government official in the southern city. He was the king's right-hand man in the south, and he managed affairs on behalf of the pharaoh. Well, to be clear, Rekmi Rey governed on behalf of Pharaoh Tutmose III. This was where we first met Rekmi Rey, back in episode 75. Unfortunately, Rekmi Rey had relied on Tutmose III for his authority. That authority was now in danger. In 1441 BCE, King Tutmose III had died, leaving the throne to his son, heir, and co-regent, Amunhotep II. Which meant that when Amunhotep took power, 
he inherited the entire government of his father. Now, however, everything was in his hands, and officials like Rekmire had to prepare themselves for new circumstances. Which is why Rekmire, the mayor of Thebes, was loading up a riverboat at the docks of the city. He wasn't fleeing, he was going to visit the new king, in order to pledge his continued loyalty, and, hopefully, retain his commission in the government of Egypt. Rekmire had a lot to lose at this transitional moment. He was not taking any chances. Rekmire came down to his riverboat and prepared himself for the journey to see the king. He was heading north to a town called Hut Sekem, or the Powerful Estate. This is where Amunhotep was currently residing. The king had been out of Egypt when his father died. He was now heading home, but he had not reached Thebes yet. Well, Rekmire was not going to wait. He was off on his boat, off to see the king. Rekmire set out and headed for Hut Sekem. There, he met with Amunhotep II and presented his great gift. What was the gift? Well, quote, Rekmire's trip was to meet his majesty in order to offer a bouquet of flowers. A bouquet for the king of Upper and Lower Egypt, Akheberure, may he live forever. End quote. Rekmire gave Amunhotep II flowers, which was actually more symbolic than you might expect. The flowers probably came from Karnak, where Rekmire was an administrator. So the gift was also a symbol that the Temple of Amun was praising Amunhotep as the new king. They were also an emblem for the city of Thebes. They had been grown in the soil of Thebes, and now they were being handed over to the new pharaoh. In other words, Rekmire was going both as an individual and as a representative. He was giving the king his service, and that of his city, the city of Thebes. Amunhotep accepted the gift with grace. Quote, now the king decreed that Rekmire was to be promoted to the supervisor of works, supervisor of artisans and craftsmen, one whose head was extremely attentive towards directing the work on behalf of his lord, in the temple of Amun and in the houses of the gods of Upper and Lower Egypt. Rekmire would be one who worked according to the plans of what his majesty wished, showing an activity that makes people thank God for the king. He was given the gold of honour for his good understanding with the sovereign, for whom he was carrying out his orders." End quote. A very productive trip all round. Rekmire gave his loyalty to Amunhotep. Amunhotep gave Rekmire new responsibilities and titles in the government. In other words, as he served, Rekmire's star rose ever higher in the ranks of the nobility. Rekmire was a man above all. Among Rekmire's dozens of titles and responsibilities, there was one which was supreme. Rekmire served Amunhotep II and his father Thutmose III as one of Egypt's two viziers. The vizier, or chatti, was the king's highest official in the government and administration. He was responsible for overseeing different groups or departments, managing high-level court cases or petitions, taking responsibility for estates and production centres, and, generally, being the point of reference for anything which was extremely important but didn't quite need the pharaoh's personal attention. 
At any one time, there were two viziers in Egypt. There was one in the north, the vizier of Lower Egypt, and one in the south, the vizier of Upper Egypt. Rekmi Re was the vizier of Upper Egypt. He lived in Thebes, managed affairs there, and took responsibility for everything from Elephantine in the south to the Fayum oasis in the north. The vizier up in Lower Egypt managed Memphis, the Delta, and the affairs of the Levant, but that was a whole other headache, and I'll cover that in a future episode. Rekmi Re came from a distinguished lineage of viziers. He was the fourth in his family to hold the position. His father, Nefer Weben, was a vizier of Lower Egypt. His uncle, Usur Amun, was a vizier of Upper Egypt. And Rekmi Re's grandfather, Amos Amethu, was also vizier of Upper Egypt, in the time of Hatshepsut. So for the last 50 years or so, Rekmi Re's family had been dominating the vizierate of Southern Egypt. Their family was well entrenched in the area, and probably had ties to everyone of any importance. Nepotism in action? <laughs> you bet. By the time King Amunhotep came to power, Rekmi Re had been the vizier of Upper Egypt for nearly 20 years. So he was a well-established authority in the kingdom. Can you imagine if Amunhotep had replaced him? This would have been a stunning upset, a complete upheaval in the hierarchy of ancient Thebes. Fortunately for Rekmi Re, Amunhotep rewarded loyalty above all. So as long as his fealty was assured, Rekmi Re could rest easy. His offering of flowers and his receival of promotions complete, Rekmi Re now left the audience of Amunhotep II and returned to his city of Thebes. Soon afterwards, the king followed him. Quote, On the king's arrival in Thebes, the servants of the temple of Amun were not able to stand still for joy. All the people rejoiced together, and the whole country was ecstatic. They paid tribute to the king of Upper and Lower Egypt. They worshipped the Horus with his strong arms, for they had seen that Ma'at had finally received her golden reward. May the embrace of Ma'at provide health and life to the sun, the king of Upper and Lower Egypt, Akeperure, so that she can grant him a multitude of years just like those of Ray forever. End quote. Amunhotep returned to Thebes in order to bury his father in the Valley of the Kings. While there, he probably made offerings to the gods, planned out new additions or expansions to the great temples, and made arrangements for the government itself. There are a few surviving records of Amunhotep's internal administration and what he really prioritised. We will return to these matters in a future episode. For now, I think it's time we turned our attention to the actual business of Rekmi Re's job. We've heard about the viziers a lot in various episodes, especially since the Middle Kingdom, but what did they actually do? Well, it's time to find out. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.
With his journey complete, Rakmi Ray could now turn his attention to the government once more. Amunhotep had assured his vizier's authority. It was time to go back to work. Rakmi Ray returned to Thebes, to his family and to his administration. At home, he was greeted by his wife, Merit, or Beloved. Merit was a member of the highest social class in the kingdom. She was known as a royal ornament. We're not sure what that entails exactly, but it seems to be women who are closely connected with the king and his family. Perhaps some kind of lady-in-waiting type of role. So the wife was a court lady. The husband was the grand vizier. I like to imagine Rekmire and Merit as a kind of power couple, strolling through the corridors of authority and social status, arm in arm, their gaze looking down on everyone. Kind of house of cards in ancient Thebes, I guess. Unlike Claire and Francis Underwood, Merit and Rekmire had a fertile relationship. The two bore at least six children together. There were three boys, Amunhotep, Meri, and Senusaret Kenamun. There were also three girls, named Takaut, Mutneferet, and Henuttawi. Add to that two in-laws that we see in Rekmire's tomb, and you get a pretty solid extended family. Unfortunately, none of these family members went on to any prominence, so the stories of Merit and her children mostly end here. The public life is where we really learn about Rekmire. This was what he emphasised at his tomb, so this is what is recorded for posterity. This all made Rekmire a rather important and busy individual. We get a sense of this in his tomb chapel. Rekmire, bless him, decorated his tomb with a wonderful text from the 18th dynasty, which today is known as the Duties of the Vizier. The Duties of the Vizier is a long, very long, description of the Vizier's role and place in society. It lays out some of the best information we have about life within the corridors of power, telling us about the ideals a Vizier should uphold, justice, truthfulness, etc., and the daily affairs of their actual job, right down to the level of where your colleagues should sit in relation to you. The text ranges from high ideals down to mundane esoterica. It's a wonderful text. But don't take my word for it. Let's hear from Rekmire himself. Rekmire? Quote, Regulations for a sitting of the overseer of the city, the vizier of the southern city, or of the residence, in the department belonging to the vizier. In any action or hearing of this official, the vizier is to be heard in the department of the vizier. He should sit on the peheju stool, with his mat upon the ground. The shenib garb should be on him, a skin under his back, a skin under his feet. The Abba staff should be at his arm, and the thirty rolls laid out before him. The interior overseer should stand to his right, the herald at his left. The scribes of the vizier at his hand, each aligned with the other, each in position. Wow, talk about a regulated office environment. Let's break that down. Rekmi Ray speaks, first of all, about how the vizier should go about hearing petitions, and, most importantly, how he should set himself up in the audience chamber. He must sit on his stool, the Pahedju, and he should have an animal skin beneath him. He should hold a staff called the Abba, or Scepter, and at his feet he should lay out a stack of thirty papyrus rolls. I guess we can assume that these rolls would contain either the list of petitions to be heard, 
or, more likely, the protocols for the variety of situations which might arise. Rekme Ray's job was steeped in tradition and ritual. That is, clothing, seating arrangements, and accessories were set out so specifically suggests that public hearings in the audience chamber were as much about appearance as about substance. Rekme Ray and those who did his job seem to have been aware of a key rule of politics. If you are going to act, make sure people see you acting. An action without an audience is all but useless. Basically, Rekme Ray was no different to a chief justice. Even the most skilled judges must put on the correct costume when handing out their decisions. Now, having set himself up, put on his costume, and made ready to give hearings, what did Rekme Ray and the viziers like him actually deal with? What were their major concerns? Quote, It is he who makes every investigation. It is he who hears every appeal when a man goes to dispute with his colleague. It is he who appoints anyone to be appointed at the palace gate. Anyone to be questioned comes to him in the domain of the king. It is he who hears every decree. It is he who hears cases for the temples when they have suffered loss. It is he who fixes all the salaries as supplies for those who should receive them. Rekmi Ray, in his own words, led investigations, judged civil disputes or disagreements, organized the palace bureaucracy, and took care of tribunal investigations. When there were royal decrees, he heard them first. In the matter of temples, he judged any sort of legal issue, and acted to protect the temples themselves against financial trouble. Rekmi Ray, involved in both legal issues and economic affairs, was the last port of call for anyone looking to gain justice from the palace administration. Of course, although he was a supposedly impartial judge, Rekmi Ray was, first and foremost, a member of the government. His loyalty, above all, was to the palace, and among his many duties, he had to take great care for the security and safety of the royal residences. This involved physical security and economic security. Quote, to him are reported the time sealing of the strongholds and their timed opening. To him are reported the condition of the fortresses of south and north. Also the exit of everything that leaves from the states of the king and everything that is entering the states of the king. As for anything entering or leaving the territory of the residence, it is the vizier's commissioner that controls that. The overseers of disputes, officers, and overseers of districts report their affairs to him. Rek Mirey, the southern vizier, was responsible for the daily reports and security of Egypt's great fortresses. Now, there is some academic debate on this. When Rek Mirey refers to the fortresses of north and south, does he mean just the ones in southern and northern Upper Egypt? Or does his authority over forts extend to Nubia and the Delta as well? Well, Egyptologists are a bit divided on this. There are some who argue that the southern vizier was responsible for all the fortresses, even if only in an honorific sense. He received reports from all the major forts in Egypt, Nubia and the Near East, and was, in principle, responsible for their security. But then there are those who argue, pretty reasonably I think, that it would be impossible for Rekmi Ray to manage every fortress in Egypt owned. Some of them were hundreds of miles away, and the vizier was already busy enough. 
it comes down to how much you think the vizier was talking about daily, practical responsibilities, or more about abstract, ideal roles. We're not sure how much of the text is what the vizier did, physically, day by day, and how much was simply within his larger portfolio. It's an open question. We still don't have a firm answer. Whatever he was managing on the average day, Rekmi Ray had one final job that was of the utmost importance. It was his task, when practical, to report directly to the pharaoh. Rekmi Ray was expected to keep his lord informed, daily, of the state of the kingdom. Were things running well? Was there trouble? Whatever the case, Rekmi Ray had to keep his king in the loop. Quote, then he is to enter for the greeting of the lord, when the condition of the two lands is reported to him in his house daily. He is to enter the palace, with the treasurer attending as well. The treasurer is to come to hail the vizier and report to him, saying, quote-unquote, All your affairs are well and sound. Every authority has reported to me, saying that all your affairs are well and sound. The domain of the king is well and sound. End of quote. It is not permitted that any official have power over judgment in his own jurisdiction. If accusation arises against one of these officials while in his area, then he is to be brought into the court, and it is the vizier who prosecutes him concerning the penalty of his crime. A person is heard only after his fellow, without one of lower being heard before one of higher status. If, however, a person of higher status says, quote-unquote, there will be no hearing before me, end of quote, then he is to be seized by the envoys of the vizier. Reporting to Amunhotep or Tatmos was probably not always possible. Rekmire lived in Thebes most of the time, and it's quite likely that the kings of the 18th dynasty moved about from palace to palace on occasion. I guess in those circumstances, Rekmi Ray would simply send a regular letter to the king, reporting on what was going on. These might have been daily, or perhaps weekly. We're just not sure. Basically, Rekmi Ray was expected, first and foremost, to keep Amunhotep informed of major affairs in his half of the kingdom. Things like military situations, raids or banditry on the borders, or trade situations, if there were maybe goods coming in as tribute, or in a major delivery from an expedition. Essentially, Rekmi Ray managed everything, and he just notified Amunhotep when important. Fortunately for the vizier, Rekmi Ray was able to live and work at a time when Egypt internally was peaceful. Thanks to the heavy campaigning of Thutmose III, the borders of the land were so well defined and protected that raiding and attacks were perhaps a distant memory. Banditry probably still happened, the desert is a big place after all, and no one can control it entirely, but by and large, Rekmi Ray probably enjoyed a fairly peaceful time in his office of the vizier. That being said, a vizier leading the government could still feel the effects of war in a big way. When a pharaoh took captives in war, populations would flood into the Nile Valley. The Egyptians might break them up, disperse them among different estates and villages, but still, high officials would periodically scramble to accommodate an influx of prisoners and captives. Booty might look good on paper, but it requires a lot of work to manage and incorporate. For the first six years of Amunhotep's reign, 
not including the short campaign that he led in year three, Rekmi Ray was able to enjoy a peaceful time in his city of Thebes. However, all of that began to change when, around year seven, the Egyptian army returned to the battlefields of Syria. This time, there would be some major disruptions to the social and economic life of the Near East. Back home, the Egyptians would experience this second-hand, as victory in war led to a veritable flood of new foreign captives. Amunhotep II, spoiler, was in the business of taking prisoners, which is why he and his administration are sometimes thought to be the rulers behind the biblical story of the Exodus. On the next episode, we get deeply involved in some truly fascinating conflicts. From the battlefields of Syria to the settlements of the Nile Valley, the reign of Amunhotep II was a landmark in Egypt's foreign policy and its internal demographics. Join me soon for episode 79, releasing shortly. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.